creeds and criticism meet. to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. Welcome to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. I'm Allison. And I'm Nick. And today we're going to be going over Galatians 3.28, finally. We yep. got interrupted by Jamin Hubner, which we don't mind at all. No. Nope. You can interrupt our sequence again. Yep. Um, and basically we're going to be covering uh, um, some of the implications on how do we understand what's considered roles today in light of what Galatians 3.28, in context, of course, has to tell us. Yep. Um, to give you a summary of our position, um, we think that since we are in Christ and no longer under the law, partiality must not be shown in the life of the church on the basis of ethnicity, social standing, or gender. Full justification translates into full participation as fellow heirs, that is, firstborn sons. Yep. That's status, huh? Sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> Yep, and if we sound a little distracted, that's because there's a cat that keeps trying to get our attention because we're visiting Nick's mother. <laughs> yep, we decided to come down for the weekend for Mother's Day, and we have a cat locked in here with us in my mom's art studio, so if the acoustics sound weird, And if you hear some ridiculous yowling, it's not because some poor cat is being abused, it's just because he doesn't like to be confined. No, he doesn't. He He's his own special sunflower. Or he wants attention. He's his own sunflower. He wants to bloom wherever he wants. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so Book Corner. Yep. Is that what we're doing? All right, so I am reading... Well, I'm in the middle of uh, Philippians with Dr. Love Seacrest here at Fuller, and so I am basically up to my nose in Philippians commentaries. Uh, Moises Silva, Carolyn Oziek, and uh, there's one other person. Oh, Stephen Fowl. Stephen Fowl's commentary on uh, Philippians is incredible. It's theological interpretation, but not at the expense of exegesis or historical context. Yeah, and, I think I went over him before on yep. one of my... I don't know if I did for Book Corner or not. But no, I, you might have. I think it was his engaging scripture or something like Maybe. that. Maybe. Yeah, that's what he's known for. So he does a commentary on Philippians because he's done work in ethics and... The story of Christ, you know, Philippians two, the so-called Christ hymn and stuff like that, and it's it's a it's a stellar book for under twenty bucks. It's probably one of the better commentaries that can kind of get beneath the surface of a text, doesn't excuse what words mean or anything like that. And it's 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 a solid comment. The whole series, uh, from my understanding, is really solid. I think it's edited by Joel Green too. So, oh, wow. a lot of theological interpretation and exegesis uh, together done really well. So, I'd recommend that to you specifically, Fowl's commentary. Okay, Nick, you seem a little distracted by the cat. Yeah. Yeah. See, we both love cats, and maybe you should let him out. No, uh, he'll come see me in a minute. <laughs> they can't see the cat. They can't see the amazing cat, Nick. Nope, they can't. Okay, anyways, I'm reading In Her Words, Women's Writings and the History of the Christian Thought by Amy Oden. And it's really just a collection of awesome women that have written throughout history. A lot mm -hmm. of people are under the impression that, I don't know, women just twiddled their thumbs, stayed home, barefoot and pregnant at home in the early church. For 2,000 years, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, which isn't the case. Um, many of them were very, extremely vocal. Many of them were leaders in the church. If you read the New Testament, you get already a sense that maybe women weren't as silent as um, some people would lead you to believe. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, um, I'm reading a lot of the martyrs, and some of some women have actually penned some of their story themselves. Awesome. Um, not, of course, the part about them getting killed. No, but... they're not like Moses. No. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. 
Um, but yeah, I'll read you some excerpts. Um, what I find interesting in this, and it's coming in with some of my research, which maybe I'll share later, is hmm. how freely they like to switch um, off in terms of referring to themselves, if they're women referring themselves to themselves as men, hmm. or if they're men referring to themselves in feminine ways. Paul hmm. does that a lot. We're yep. going to cover that. Yep. Um, but it's this. They get this from this language of putting on Christ hmm. and getting their power from from Christ. And of course, in Christianity, we worship a crucified Savior yeah. who came down and took the status of a slave. Yeah. So you know, it's not that surprising that people of that were otherwise considered of lowly status um, would gravitate towards yeah. this Messiah, this broken Messiah. Yeah, and find strength. So here's one. Um, person's description um, of this is this vision she had um, while she was waiting her martyrdom. And she says, I was stripped of my clothing. And again, in a lot of these ways that women were martyred, um, these very sick people love to exploit their femininity mm -hmm. and do all sorts of bizarre, um, would you call it masochistic yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, to them, but so her clothing gets strips, but suddenly she says, she says, and suddenly I was a man. My assistants began to rub me with oil as was the custom before the contest. And she saw it suddenly, um, she saw herself in the context of an, an, a, an athlete. Hmm. And a lot of the athletic language in the, I'd say in those days were referred to man, to men, yeah. especially as glad in the terms of being gladiators. Paul, Paul does that in uh, Philippians three, striving and persevering and seeking the crown. It's athletic imagery. Yeah. And here's another, here's a different one. Um, and you're going to have to read through these, um, for yourself. Um, someone's describing this martyr, um, as tiny, weak, and insignificant as she was, she would give inspiration to her brothers, for she had put on Christ, that mighty and invincible athlete, and had overcome the adversary in many contests, and through her conflict had won the crown of immortality. Hmm. And so it's this understanding that someone, these martyrs get their power from the Lord. Hmm. Um, and it's this understanding that in these horrific um, circumstances where these um, rulers are telling them to submit to their law, to submit to Rome, they refuse it. And they even put their own martyrdom in Christ's hands yep. and say, um, we're repurposing this. We're, we're transfiguring our suffering into something glorious and yeah. conquering. And in you'd have to read more, but you, you see in various ways how women, they stand up for um, their virtue for Christ and they un end up undermining this different... Um, I'd say power structures around them, whether they be um, jilted lovers who decide to um, turn on them and uh, sometimes burn them or whatever. Um, you'll, you'll have to read it. It's, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a really good book. I had to read it for Fuller as well. It's a, it's a really, really helpful resource. Yeah. Okay, so um, first, we're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys some of the background of our passage because a lot of the people love to cite verses and... Of course, um, Galatians 3.28 is the one that everyone knows about yep. um, for egalitarians. But we're going to just start a little earlier. So um, starting in chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I swear, um, just parts of it. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ rescues us from the present evil age. The problem is that the people are leaving God for a different gospel. Well, sort of. So let me go ahead and read at least 6 through 10 of, one, chapter, one. of chapter 1 for you. Yeah. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some of you 
who are disturbing, some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have re- preached to you, he is to be accursed. And we have and we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what ha- you received, he is to be accursed. For, a- for I am now seeking the favor of men or God. So he's basically um, going back to don't be people pleasers. Um, Paul isn't just getting this of his own accord. Yeah. Um, he goes into some of his background with Judaism and his credentials, um, basically saying, again, this isn't me saying all these things. I'm um, not making this up. Yeah. yeah, this is something I received. This is the gospel. <laughs> so in chap- by the time we get into chapter 2, we get a certain, we get situation 1. Um, Paul has gone to preach the gospel, and he brought with him some Gentiles um, who he would not circumstance, uh, circumcise. Hmm. Um, and some of the false brethren, as he puts it, demanded that they would be circumcised. Paul says I will not, he would not yield in subjection to them, though. Why is that? And it's so that the truth of the gospel would remain, for verse 2-5. And in 2-6, we get the understanding that status um, is not an issue that will sway Paul. And I want to read 2-6 to you. But from those who were a high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. So Paul doesn't care that these high status people are telling them you need to circumcise uh, Gentiles because mm. he says God chose no partiality, so I'm not going to either. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get into the next situation, situation two. Peter, um, John, and James were all on board with Paul's understanding of the gospel and mission to the Gentiles. Um, no, they don't have to be circumcised. That was the consensus. Yes, remember the poor is what they told them to do. The poor everywhere, by the way, yes. not just the, the, the easy poor in Jerusalem. It's the poor quite literally everywhere. Yep, yep. And so now I'm going to go ahead and read um, 2, 11 through 21 to you, because this is going to be extremely relevant to our passage. And um, if you can, just listen very carefully for some of the themes um, that you think will be maybe relevant to 328. Um, think about what the issue is here, um, why it's an issue, and basically how can this be a threat to the gospel? So I'll go ahead and read it. All right. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Cephas is Peter, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, James is the one that's in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they, when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in, in this hypocrisy, Whoa. with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like, Jew, like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. 
For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been just I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, nor for if I uh, sorry, if for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That's pretty strong language. Um yeah. so I'd say the issue is um, with what Peter is doing. By not eating with the Gentiles in practice, he is undermining the gospel. Why is this a problem? Um, earlier it was noted that God shows no partiality. Peter's actions represent partiality in practice. He says, agrees, one is justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but acts as though Gentiles must keep the law. That's food laws, circumcision, in order to be full members of the community. In other words, he wouldn't eat with them because they weren't full members of the community. Hmm. Um, and he was doing it specifically to try to fit in with some of the Jews that um, maybe part of this these false brethren that wanted the Jew, the Gentiles to become Jews in order to become part of the people of God. Hmm. So how is this a threat to the gospel? Um, basically, actions speak louder than words. Um, saying Gentiles are fully part of the church um, via through Christ is just different from showing it. Um, hmm. I'd say belief and act are not separate. Um, if someone says a certain group of people are equal, then how do they act? How does it come out in practice? Are they full participants in the life of the church? Or are they in some special category that hinders them? So this is how I kind of understand this whole section. Okay. And so then uh, we go. We can go straight to our passage? Yeah, let's, right. let's go. Nick's going to give some more background and we'll go straight to the pa the passage in question. Yeah. And what you have uh, in chapter three, let me pull it up real quick just to make sure I have this correctly, uh, is this idea of, of being, of the Galatians being bewitched or kind of mentally goofed with, you know, they're, they're kind of messing this up and, you know, he's talking about how Christ, uh, you received this from the spirit. You didn't, you know, you've heard it from me. You, you got this from the spirit. And then, uh, then he goes into this great example of Abraham who believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, which you hear in first Maccabees, it's exact parallel. Abraham believed God. So you see those who believe in the descendants, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And so it's kind of this universal lineage thing through Abraham as the pinnacle example, the one who believed or was faithful to God. And so that's, you know, the first part of chapter three, then you keep going and going. The one who is righteous will live by faith. The law does not rest on faith. On the contrary, whoever does the works of the law will live by them. And then you kind of keep going and going. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so you keep going and going down. Uh, then I'm going to skip a bunch because he gets into really interesting stuff with the law. That would just take us way too long to get into. But in verse 23 is kind of where it really begins. Or verse 22, I should say. Uh, or verse 21, I'll start with verse 21. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? Remember that word promise. Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. Makes sense. But the scripture or the writings has imprisoned all things under the power of sin so that what was promised through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, yes, that's my translation, might be <laughs> given to those who believe. So faithfulness, believe, uh, faith and promise are working together here. Now, before faith came, in verse 23, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. So, again, faith and justification and promise. And remember, too, that earlier Paul was saying that some of the people that the Judaizers that were coming were essentially wanting to um, 
spy on their liberty and yeah. also return them to slavery. I mean, there is a reason Galatians is called the epistle of liberty or of human freedom. And we get to that in a sec. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian or the, the paedagogos, kind of the, the nanny, the person who raised the children until they became a certain age. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children or sons of God through faith in Christ, Christ Jesus. Uh, yeah, note it's actually sons. Yep, and actually in the Greek, it's not children, it's not techna, it's, uh, it's a son. I'm going to put Huyas, right? Huyas, yeah, or huyoi. Sons oh, of yeah. God through the faithfulness through faithfulness in Christ Jesus. Then I'm going to give my own translation. I was using the NRSV, and this is my translation. So verse 27, For as many as have been baptized into Christ have now been clothed by Christ. So there's this reciprocality, this circular kind of image. Baptism and clothing. So as an image around surrounding Christ. Then you have the famous statement in 28, There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free person. There is no male and female. For all of you are one in or by Christ Jesus. And then 29, just to round out this section. And if you are Christ's, then you are of Abraham's seed, recipients according to the promise. So again, promise and faith. Promise and faith are kind of coming back and forth. And so then, and the idea there is heirs. You yeah, are heirs according to the it's problem. economic language. It's, it's it's because of what Abraham has done that we are now recipients of Abraham's faith, and we participate in Abraham's faith in the same in a similar way of believing or trusting in God through Christ. And that gives you an updated status. You, yep. if you are a woman, if you are a slave, if you are a Gentile, yep. um, in God's household, in God's economy, you are a firstborn son. What's, An error. What's interesting, too, is that when we see uh, the neither slave nor free, you have three statuses in the ancient world. You have slave, freed person, or ex-slave, and free person. Here, it's free person. So it's not the middle status. It's the high status, the man or woman who was never a slave, and the person who is, by nature or by circumstance, slave a slave. And so you have a direct... Uh, antithesis here between uh, of social status and Jew and Gentile. Of course, we know the, the famous status. Gentiles could become Jews or live like Jews or be involved in the Jewish community of former Israel, but they were not there. But the Jews, the, the, the Gentiles that didn't were out. So there was a clear st uh, uh, bifurcation of status. And then you get to the women, uh, the, the neither uh, male and female. The, the preposition here, it's not an, it's not an ute, it's a chi, it's an and. And we get this directly from, I think, Genesis 1 and Genesis 5. He made them male and female. He made them male and female. In the image of God, he made them. Yeah. And so it's the exact same uh, words. You have a, the, the, adjective, uh, abje, the, the adjective, the conjunction, the adjective, male and female. Same exact uh, So basically they switch up the grammar a little bit, perhaps yeah. to go back to um, the Genesis formulation. Pa Paul is directly alluding back to Adam and Eve here as before the fall, as being made in the image of God as being uh, people with dominion over them. Basically the promise, you know, the, the Edenic promise. He's appealing back to this. Yeah, and Paul has a lot to say about in eschatology um, or in the basic, I, I'm going to say the era of Christ, the new yeah. the new yeah. kingdom of, co of God that when it's fully yeah. realized, um, he sees it as the res restoration of the rule of humanity. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll do that another episode, too. Yeah. All this is so good. <laughs> but what, what Paul does here, I think, is very striking. He uses a second-person pl plural of the IME verb, the a being verb, to be verb. And it's, you are all sons of God. You are Abraham's seed. So 26 and 29 bracket each other perfectly with a direct rest to the people there. Slaves. The entire community is being addressed here. You are sons of God. That's to the women. That's to the slaves. 
you know, and you are Abraham's seed. Slave and women are part of Abraham's seed, part of the lineage, part of the promise. So there's not this kind of exclusive, like, women get maybe three-fifths of the promise and the, the men get five, you know, the whole portion. It's, no, you are all involved in what Abraham has done. And it's not mediated either. Yep. So it's not like the Gentiles get the promise mediated through the Jews who have this special place yep. in the community. Um, I would say women um, are, do not need a mediator between God and humanity. Um, they do not need their husband. No. <laughs> I mean, they need Jesus Christ. And what, what makes this verse, verse 28, so special is that there, there's two parallels. Uh, you have the, the, the 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the body. Um, and, uh, and it also speaks of uh, we've been baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. The qualification there is we're, we're not a somatic entity that has no hands or no feet. We're, somatic? We're, yeah, uh, the body imagery. You know, uh, you are one body. And But what Paul does is it's a mutuality between hands and feet. You, the whole part needs each other. Without the body, disintegrates. It can't, help, it can't work together. So we can't say to the slave, we have no need of you. We can't say to the woman, we have no need of you. The diversity of the body is predicated on the full functioning of the body, the interdependency of the body. And we see that in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. You know, In the Lord, there is this. And so then the parallel in Colossians 3.11 speaks similar of baptism, of being closed, clothed, lit the unity of Christ's body, the church. And so being one in Christ is not about eschatology. It's about ethics and praxis. And so what being in Christ means, uh, if you follow Galatians in chapter 4, you are no longer a slave, you're a son. And if a son, you are also a recipient or an heir of God. And so it's it's the it's not the bringing down of the powerful. It's the lifting up of the oppressed. And you can see why this, and you and I have talked about this before, why this language would really offend the higher-ups and be an empowerment to the lowers. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we're gonna say just right now, people love to take this verse out of um, context for all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, like some people will take this as literally there's no more male or female difference, mm -hmm. um, which isn't true. Um, no. what Paul has said in the context of his letter is that there's no difference in status, partiality, participation. Yep. That's the context of the letter here. It's not. Um, there's no special status. It's no, really there's no soteriological special status. Right. Women have always been able to be an Israelite and be in the family of God. Same with slaves. Same with Gentiles. That hasn't been a debate. Yeah. That and so when someone complementarian say, "Oh, this is about salvation, your spiritual your spiritual salvation in front of God," it's like Jews have always believed that women could go to heaven or be involved in the Adina, all this sort of stuff. And so it's it's so historically anachronistic that I'm like, you guys you guys aren't reading the text. Start no. in chapter two. This isn't about roles. This is about what you what Christ has done and given to you. And so they oh women can be saved along with men. So, special spiritual status it's like they've always had that israel always had a place for women yeah and i think the big problem is people either people tend to separate this passage out they either concentrate only on the practical mm -hmm. or only on the quote spiritual when they're really the two are very much together yeah. um and again like um and this is something we'd have to maybe do in a whole nother theology section where we go through paul's um understanding of the eschaton and yeah. all these things but it really is this idea that the kingdom of God, it, it's a kingdom, it's a new yeah. economy, it's a new household, and yeah. there are different rules. And so these people um, are just oddities in their cultures. Yeah. Um, they, they're following this other kingdom, this other household pattern where there's no status um, based call, off of these different categories. They call each other brother and sister. We skip over kinship language mm. for a Jew to call a Gentile brother and, or sister. 
is a complete reworking of the framework. To call a slave a brother or a sister, like Paul does in Philemon. To call someone brother means you're, they're a part of the family. And that's, in the ancient world, you didn't do that. Your family was your own. You did not include other people in your family. You know, patronage accounts and how gift giving and stuff and reciprocity works. No, your family was your own. You didn't treat your family like you treated everyone else. Here Paul says, no, you have to treat everyone like your family. That slave, he's part of your family now. Yeah, and getting into some of the issues on the law and how it interacts with gender specifically. And we're going <laughs> to we're going to get into this again when we do some sections on the Old Testament. It's coming, guys. Yeah. Um but there's implications here because again, this whole issue this whole context is also about law versus understanding it differently in terms of justification and the work of Jesus Christ. But um, under the law, um, most men could not be priests. Under the law, um, women definitely couldn't either. Um, yeah. And so slaves couldn't either, as far as I know. Yeah, and under the law, um, women were excluded from being—I um, I guess you could say—circumcision um, did exclude them somewhat from, in terms of how they yeah. are under, understood in the community, in terms of status. Mm-hmm. And um, our, our quick take on that is, um, I mean, I, I could easily describe it in terms of what's called um, divine, the doctrine of divine condescension. Hmm. Um, put it simply, I think that God um, is was talking to the Israelites in their particular circumstance. He had certain plans that included everyone. I can point to passages that indicate that. We'll do that another time. Mm-hmm. But basically, he, met the, he ended up meeting them where they were um, yeah. and trying to transform them um, to a certain extent, um, from where they're, where they were ready. Yeah. And, and also in addition to the idea of circumcision, Paul says in five, six in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Yeah. And so love is kind of the, the love and love, faith, love and faith in Christ is the outworking of the promise of Abraham. And so circumcision or uncircumcision, that's what marked, that's what separated men from women. It's what separated Jew from Gentile. Yeah. And so it's it's these things don't matter in terms of uh, of what God has given to you in the promise of Abraham. You act you exercise uh faith through the promise and you're all included in this and you're all heirs according to the promise. You're all recipients of something God has been working on for as far as time began as far as I can tell. And that has concrete implications for how we live yep. and how we include or or exclude people in our communities. Yeah. And that's the whole point here. Um Paul didn't go, "Aha, Peter, he disagrees with me on these theological points." No, he saw that Peter was not eating with the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. That's what he saw and he called it hypocritical to the gospel. Yeah. Um, because in an action, Peter undermined the whole testimony. Yeah, and it's it's deeply practical. Can a slave become someone who is baptized into Christ and then can and therefore can serve God in any capacity on the basis of his new status in Christ? Yes or no? Can a woman do that? Yes or no? And then you kind of get the idea of do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Period. This is slave language. Is he speaking directly to slaves and presumably women here? Yeah, because so, these categories are also ca- uh, status categories. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a status category, and what matters is faith working itself out through love. How would, an, for example, how would an ancient slave hear this when when Paul says, "For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self indulgence, but through love become slaves of one another." That's a bringing down of the freedman to the level of the slave, and saying, "You guys actually." Are, are one body now. You guys have to actually act like your family. Yeah. And that includes women, that includes men, that includes everyone. 
the slave does not need to be reminded that he's a slave. He yep. needs to be reminded that he's freed. Yep. Um, the person that is the master and owns slaves, which we both believe is um, antithetical to what Paul actually teaches. We think yep. that Paul's theology and the paradigms he gives, and some of the commands he gives in clever ways, mm-hmm. are um, actually undermining the whole institution. Yep. But, I mean, for now, though, um, all this to say... Our interpretation of this is full justification translates into full participation. And again, this is touted as one of the egalitarian passages uh, on par of 1 Timothy. I I really don't see it that way. Um, Egalitarians tend to be more, um, I guess we take a more broad view of scripture rather than zeroing in on specific passages. Allowing one verse to dictate what everything else says. That's kind of how cults do exegesis, actually. (laughs) That's how I've seen it. Um, So... You know, for us, it's this passage, it's the multiple examples of women actually teaching with authority in Scripture, it's... Um, Co-workers in Philippians 4, uh, the Phoebe as a deacon, Junia as an apostle, how women actually functioned yeah. as leaders, representatives, and workers of Paul, who he doesn't say, yeah, they worked with me, but, you know, that whole male and female thing, yeah, I kind of want 1 Timothy 2 to be kind of my thing, you know, yeah. he, he never says that, so either Paul's in straight-up contradiction with himself... Or his theology actually dictated how women functioned in his churches. And the one or two examples where there may be a restriction on women have plausible, even better explanations that Paul had to correct something, an abuse of some sort. Which he is um, very often doing. Yeah. Someone does something and he tells them to stop it. Yep. I mean, here he does too. All the, all over the place. Yeah, and you know we'll get well. There's a, there's a little more. Like there's the main passages people all point to, but we're going to be going into some of the lesser known ones. Yeah, ones where Paul um, uses feminine language for men, um, as far as like this is how you embody Christ. Yeah, and masculine images for women. Um, it, this is kind of interesting, and I think it can be a touchy subject in this yeah. day and age um, for people that are maybe. A little sensitive to some um, gender stereotype mixing, but... Yeah, and, and to cap this all off, just the, the, the language of sons. I'd really like you to tease this more out, because you know, Paul talks mm-hmm. about sons of God, but because you are sons, God sent out the spirit of his son in your hearts. And so, that's not just to the men, obviously. So, what Paul is saying here is, because you are sons, women too, God has given you the spirit of Christ. Yeah, and, and so, so... how does that work? Like, women, like... People say, people, complementarians love to say how um, the firstborn, they, they appear to, the, they appeal to the firstborn son language, especially for Adam. So somehow, because Adam was born first, and then Eve, to borrow some language from a familiar passage, um, that therefore God thinks in terms of the firstborn is the is the one that always gets priority. Mm-hmm. And again, we see that pattern relativized in 1 Corinthians 11, which we already went over. Yeah. Um, and frankly, God doesn't like <laughs> to use the firstborn most of the time in history. Um, just yeah. look at the the great, even great men of our, our you know, our faith, like Moses mm-hmm. and David, they weren't the firstborn and they weren't the first um, choice. God yeah. loves to use the second. And God al- always tells us, you know, last shall be first and the first shall be last. Yep. God loves the second. And yep. the thing is, in God's economy, it says right here, women, you have the status of a firstborn son. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have that as much in our culture in the U.S. where a firstborn son automatically, automatically gets to be the leader of the family, automatically gets all the goods mm-hmm. or most of the goods, yeah. automatically is responsible over the whole family. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, that is the case. And he's yeah. saying in the economy of Christ, women, you you have a role. Your role is to um, do all these things that a firstborn son would do. And yep. I think... 
in terms of even Genesis and um, it being re- reiterated um, by Paul later, mm-hmm. um, you were made in the image of God and you were destined to rule alongside men. This is cool yeah. rulership. This isn't yeah. a one-up. This isn't me, you know, trying to like, you know, get ahead of Nick because um, somehow we need to knock him down a peg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Nick. Um, yeah. You know, this this is... This is different, and I think this gets into some of the questions we've been asked. And you guys feel free to like let us know what you think. Like, we would love to hear some of your stories, um, just on how things work out in your churches. We'd love to hear any questions that you have. Um, we've yeah. gotten some questions, and we always assume it's anonymous. By the way, unless you yeah. tell us otherwise, yeah, we might topically cover some things, but we're not going to give any names and any details. Nick, well, what, what would you say is the general? thrust of some of the questions we've gotten later. Yeah, and these are multiple questions. Yeah, we've gotten really long, really detailed, really intelligent questions from a few people, and it's, it's been really just, thank you for those. It's, it's, it means a lot. Uh, the basic question, I think, if we kind of distill uh, the multiple questions down into one, is how do I, now that I believe egalitarian theology to be true, the best example of scripture, the best way we interact, I'm in a complementarian church, how do I live in a way that does not... Uh, disunite the church, but does not compromise my convictions as someone who believes this is what scripture clearly teaches. Yeah, and if you're convicted suddenly that, oh my gosh, you know, I am called to lead in some way, and yeah. again, not everyone's called to be the leader of the church. No, I know many of men who are pastors that probably shouldn't be pastors. They're yeah. Terrible leaders. So. Yeah, and, but, you know, really though, like, if you have, if you're a woman and you have the gift of leadership and other things, like, mm-hmm. what are you... What are you to do? I think yeah. is what a lot of people are getting at yeah, too. Not every person that emails us like I want to be a senior pastor. It's like no, let's. But it's more just a matter of how can I freely exercise the gifts God has given me for the church. And sometimes you just suddenly have a different conception of yourself hmm. than everyone else does. So everyone else keeps telling you about how to be a good submissive um, woman. <laughs> to, or if you're married, if you're not, then it's like well, I don't to know your what... to your husband, to the church authorities, and that's your identity. But you're realizing. No, like my identity in Christ, yes, I'm called to be a servant, but this also means I'm called to be a warrior for Christ. It means yeah. I'm called to be, um, I am called to lead, I am called to teach, I am called to all these other things. These things are suddenly open to me. I'm a son of God's promise. I'm, I'm a full recipient of what God has promised to Abraham. So how do I, as a, a son, exercise what God has given to me according to his promise? Because we know the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God doesn't just take away his gifts that he gives to his children. And so the question then becomes, how do I live uh, in a complementarian church that doesn't respect me or their theology keeps me down or their theology uh, maintains a structural uh, kind of disunity with me? Yeah. And how do I I live with that? And for me, when I was, when I became an egalitarian and I I was going to a Calvary Chapel church, I got so annoyed for the first month I was there then when I saw only men taking the offering and he said, would the men come forward and take the offering? And the communion. And the communion. And not, it's like, are women not good enough to walk around with something saying, please take our money or give us money to, you know, help the church kind of thing. And some churches, again, every church is different. Um, Different churches exclude different women in different ways. Yeah. Um, Some churches allow women to do a lot more than other churches, but even still, like there's a culture, I think, of um, making women subservient in various ways, whether it's through titles or lack of titles. Yeah. She, she, she's not a pastor. She's a director. Yeah. And And then like, no, like, if it was a guy and you call it, and, and, and originally he was going to be a pastor, if you were get it, but they give it to the woman and call her a director, I'm like, that's no, that's a bad word. I can't say that. Don't say it. No. <laughs> Don't do it. No. But no. it's just like, yeah. no, it's just this, this, this priority, this kind of simple, easy, like, 
if man, pastor, if woman, I mean, child's director, maybe it's like, no, like, yeah. And then maybe you get like, why are you so, why are you so, you know, involved? Why do you care so much about titles? Well, it's it's like, like, why, why are the poor so concerned about money? Don't they know life is more than money? Why are the people why that are, are the hungry people so interested in getting a hamburger? Like, why, why do they care so much about burgers? You know? No, but like, I think Nick and I discussed this yeah. and like, we can't give a one size fits all no. bit of advice. And there's, I think it, there's so, so again, it, it also depends. So in this passage, for instance, Paul, Paul does have some sway and power in these communities, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not, he's not submitting. Yeah. He is not submitting to commands that are hypo- hypocritical to the gospel. He yeah. will not do it. Yeah. Um, and he's calling people out on it. You may not be in a position where you're able to just call people out on it and get things done. Take yeah. names. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the thing is, like, I think approaching things intelligently, um, I'd say do not compromise the identity that God has given you. Don't yeah. do it. Um, it does mean that how you engage others might differ a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if, if you look at how Paul interacts with all of his churches, they're all different. So Philemon, he's buttering him up. I could order you to do this. I could order you to set him free, but on the basis of love, like I'd like you to do what I'd like you to volunteer of your own free will. What I'm implying that you should be doing through implicit ordering. Cause I'm an old man and I have status and you're basically a Christian because of me, you know, so it's, a, it's a very different kind of way than, but a lot of us don't have status no, exactly. of Paul, you know yeah. what I mean? No, and exactly. so yeah. a lot of us are basically like the Gentiles being hounded by, um, I, I would say like in this time, the Judaizers saying, you know, you are not, um, you're not fully, you're not full participants. Or in yeah. this case, you know, the language is, uh, is yes, you're fully equal, but you just can't do this or this and this. And we're going to make your identity about what you can't do. And we're not going to include you at the table of fellowship. Or, you know, some people who are realizing that this negative language isn't helpful towards women are like, yes, you can help in the kitchen. Yes, you can teach other women. Yeah, I mean, Wayne Grudem wrote an article about 85 things women can do. And it's like, you spent time thinking about things women can do and not one of them included actually giving them positions of status or power but it's like yeah she can help in the kitchen she can help with the children she can give counsel to other women it's like why are you thinking even in this way yeah like this is such a weird way to think but let me tell you this there's a story and i've somewhat told the story before um this is a woman i really admire um this is someone's grandma um that her that so i went to high school with this person and um he introduced me to his grandma because i was learning greek his grandma likes to learn greek for fun and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. She's actually quite advanced. She does word studies. Yeah, she's she's better than I am at Greek. Yeah, she is. And um, so we just hit it off. Um, over time, and I don't know if she fully, like, I think she's an egalitarian now, but even during this time wasn't necessarily, necessarily but God gave her, God gave her a brain, and mm-hmm. God um, gave her the ability to teach and to understand these things. And she just keeps going to her church. Her church is heavily complementarian. They think she's a threat. They think she's this like monstrous woman who is like loud and condescending. This is a quiet, sweet. She she mild... talks about Greek like this. Oh, the 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 the, uh, the, yes, the, yeah. the noun Colossus could mean this. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Very diminutive, very assertive, but very quiet well, without she her talks. Her assertion comes because she told me she's like, you know what? I just wouldn't be so confident if it just weren't for the gospel and if it just wasn't God's word. If it wasn't God's word, I'd just, I'd feel terrified. But mm. here's, here's what she does. 
she keeps doing Bible studies with people. And she's considered dangerous because she's good at interpreting scriptures. She knows her stuff. And she keeps doing one-on-one -on -one Bible studies with people. And she does not listen to the authorities in her church that say, you know, cease and desist, your Bible studies. How dare you teach people God's holy word? Like, just And seriously? they hate, like, they'll be doing a Bible study and she'll go, well, you know, the verb says this and this, so what do you think about that? And, you know, they're like, no, you know, silence, woman. The ESV says it's not true. Yeah. You know. yeah. So, you know what I mean? But she keeps going. And yeah. she she's called, yes, she could just leave, but she's called to stay and so she's staying and she's not compromising who she is or the gifts that God gave her. Um, but she's not necessarily going around bad mouthing the um, leadership. She's not trying to undermine them. She's not trying to take over existing Bible studies and make them her own. Mm -hmm. um, she's because of her witness, people are coming to her. Yeah, because of her witness, because of her, I would say, godliness, because of her ability to understand, interpret, and explain scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how she's living it out. Um, a lot of us aren't in, like, isolated communities that were forced to go to one church. Yeah. So for some people, it might be best that you leave. Yeah. Um, and because we have that option nowadays. Um, one thing I would say, though, is don't leave the church, period. The church universal, Make yeah. sure you're going to church. We're not perfect. Like, I, I tell Nick sometimes, like, when talking about, you know, roommates, for instance, like, I'm no peach to live with either. Like, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not just them. You know, we're all imperfect. We're all growing. You know, we all need we all need Jesus. We all need sanctification. Stay in the church. You know, yeah. you be a, you be a force for good. Not a vo not a voice that's saying like I'm going to walk out on the men. You know, because that's yeah. what they do. I'm to gonna me. turn my back on them, like they turn their back on me, and I'm not gonna listen to their sermon. It's like, no, something. Turn like, the other cheek, like turn the other cheek in that respect. Well, here, here's some things too that I think you could do if you're if you're called to stay in your complementarian church. Um, here's some things I think you could do. Uh, add sister. So when you when someone says brothers, say brothers and sisters. Say um, sisters and brothers. Sisters and brothers. But use use um, inclusive language. Um, if you want to be a little more subversive, look up some of the famous women in church history and substitute their names for examples. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, instead of talking about David, talk about Perpetua. Talk about Junia. Talk about these Deborah. Even for generic examples, like yeah. you know, what I mean, there's different ways where you can just kind of bring stuff in, and you don't always need. The thing is, you may not always be in a position where it's best for you to even do that. Mm -hmm. um, again, I th I'd say if you're a woman, don't quiet down because um, they expect you to be quiet. Yeah. Um, people in power love to say you are the one that's causing disunity because you don't step in line with us. Here's something else to encourage. If you're a woman, encourage other women to seek positions of of, 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 of power, of authority. You know, if they have the gift of, of teaching, have, tell her to lead a Bible study. Uh, if you're a guy, do the same thing. Tell her to lead a study, you know, and promote women in that way. Um, don't yeah, just, yeah. yeah, include, and also to include women in what you're doing. So if you've got a study and it's like 10 dudes, I mean, if it's a men's study, I get it. But if it's a, just a, a Bible study, Invite women over, like have women and, and, and look at women and say, what do you think? What do you think? You know, get them involved in the conversation because, I mean, if we're all sons of God and through the promise, they've got something to say too. Yeah. And here's the thing too, um, like just to the men, a lot of women are behind, If even if they have leadership skills, they're behind because they have not been giving the, given the opportunity. Hmm. Um, again, like I just think in my own context, I know someone who... Um, would have had, for instance, a TA experience, but was denied TA experience 
by her school because she was a woman because she was an egalitarian. Yep. So just note that women are not oftentimes given a chance. And yep. so it does no good to presuppose an equal playing field because it's not an equal playing field. Yeah. That's just the reality. And this is the broader reality, um, I'd say, in society and other things as well. Mm -hmm. um, so find gifting, invest in women and their gifts, yep. and... I would say just start. sometimes start something. A, a friend of mine invited me uh, potentially to be a pastor in the future, involved, or at least involved in his, his ministry. And uh, we, we've been talking about it quite a bit. And I've been, the thing we've kept coming back to is we need to have women. We need to hire women pastors to, to lead, to preach. And we, we've gotten into the ecclesiology of how that would work. Um, but that's, that's for another discussion. But the, the point is we're, we, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't both thinking, how do we include women um, and that means sometimes paying them to do the job and giving them, this is Pastor Sarah, this is Pastor Noah. She will be preaching once every month and we're just rotating or something like that, you know. Yep. But it's seeking women out for positions of power and then giving them the freedom in Christ to use their gifts that Christ has given them. Yeah, and note too that mistakes in women, or in, they're not always flaws, sometimes they're just disagreements, yeah. um, will become more acute um, mm -hmm. in their minds for women. Um, and that's just how we operate, honestly, like, that's for all of us. It's uh, it, it's culturally conditioned, um, where we're bound to see certain traits in others that are not necessarily entirely reality. Yeah. And so, yeah, just if you're a dude, en encourage women. Uh, if she wants to be, I don't know, a pastor, encourage her if she can to go to seminary. Encourage the church to fund her. Because um, Lord knows it's hard for women in a lot of seminars to get educate get to get uh, funding and stuff like that. But women um, for women in in complementarian churches. Here's hmm. what I recommend: if you're going to stay, um, yes, do some of the things that they want you to. I mean, I'm not in a complementarian church, but no. I'll help out in cooking. I'll help out in childcare. I'll help out in cooking. I like cooking. I'll do those things, um, but do more. Like, yeah. and I don't mean like take on lots of responsibility, like into, in, you know, if you're not a cook, don't do it. Yeah, please Just stay don't. away. No. Um, <laughs> there's that too. Not all of us are good at children. That's a stereotype. No. But what I'm saying is don't like, um, don't completely challenge their paradigm, enough, but enough that they have to ask questions. So for instance, you speak up in the Bible study. You know what I mean? You just be who God has called you to be. And let them reject you. Let them be the ones that are hypocritical to the gospel. You don't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, plus think about it too. I, I didn't, I changed my mind because of scripture. My heart was changed when I watched uh, women preaching, uh, look back and said some of the biggest influence in my life were women. Strong, my mom's a strong woman. My, my aunt's a strong woman. And you kind of look back and you're like, yeah, why, why, why did I, not that why did I think that? Because, you know, scripture seemed to kind of indicate how I should think but how did i feel this way and then looking back once scripture changed my mind I'd, I'd look back and i was like you know i've never heard a woman preach so i just sat and i went through a week's worth of uh sermons that i heard and i was like you know these are really good i, I don't know why and so then you have to ask different questions and stuff like that and so, yeah people we a lot of our views are shaped by how we live our life yeah. and what examples we see so be be that example of who god called you to be yeah um, and again, this is this is difficult because your whole context is going to be telling you no. You need to be quieter. You need to be more meek. Um, when you're when you're assertive, you might feel like you were being too pushy or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, women, we always get like chastised for interrupting. You know, things that are usual in normal conversation. It, yeah. It's going to happen. Um, we are the ones that get inter interrupted quite a bit, and we don't even notice. Yeah. Um, but again, like 
be firm in your identity and in that's based in Christ. Christ is our power. Christ is our source. Mm-hmm. And I would say just just be bold. Yeah. Be bold in what you do and let yeah. Christ let Christ be do the rest and let them reject. Sometimes put yourself in vulnerable positions too. So it may mean for some of you that you go to your church and say I want to be ordained even though they don't believe it. Yeah. Do it. Like, let them be uncomfortable. Like, Let them wrestle with scripture the way you've wrestled with scripture. doesn't mean you have to storm in and be like, you're all hypocrites and you guys aren't ordaining me. Yeah, don't, don't make yourself into a huge spectacle. You're not called to be a spectacle. No. And, again, like, Paul no was is, able to do, do certain things because he already had power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just be smart about it. Don't feel bad about making them uncomfortable because their theology is making them uncomfortable and their theology needs to be challenged. Yep. And the, and challenge makes us all better, frankly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's engaging with Scripture the way we should be engaging with Scripture. And yeah. so living like how Scripture tells you to live as, a, as an heir, as a son of God, you're supposed to live in a certain way. And if they're not measuring up to that, that's not your problem. Either they ship up and... Or man up, sun up. Uh, you know, if they, if they, you know, image bear up. Yeah, and if that's they don't weird. do that, then that's that's on them, and then that's a good sign that you may need to find another church that treats you like how you, sh- how God has made you to be. Yeah. You know, and if you don't want to be a pastor, don't be a pastor. But be, if you feel called to serve, then find ways to serve, and just be the good example that they can't deny. And yep. I think that's I think that's something uh, that. Many more things we could say, but I think that's a... a yeah. Good. So, what are we doing next week? Or next time, either. Not next week. We don't have time next week. Let's do Women in Luke Acts. Okay, that sounds good. That'll be fun. Yes. I don't... Lydia, Priscilla, and Aquila. And if you felt we missed anything, or there's any other kind of issue that we didn't cover in as much detail as you would have liked, we're including a, a blog post written by Allison in the, uh, in the description of our blog. So, uh, if you just go to our blog and you find this episode, there will be a special link for this for you. Tickled your fancy, feel free to get more detail and stuff at the uh, blog.